This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes, who this week is wearing a cap and covered in wig. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right, mate. I um, I was going to come up with a good excuse why, but the truth is, I just I just haven't had a shower, so <laughs> I couldn't tame the beast today. So yeah, I've gone with a um, with a cap just to you know keep everything on the wraps, and then uh, maybe I'll mix it up again next week. Yeah, well, for those who have been tuned out while there's been no football, this has been a bit of a recurring theme throughout there. The weeks of, of lockdown, things been gradually getting towards closer towards like David's every week. There's a recurring theme, but I think now with football officially back, English football, maybe we will start to to move away from that. You know, we'll see. We'll see how Dave Wick gets on it. Yeah, wait until um, I uh, hopefully go to Barbers in the next couple of weeks, and then um, we can put this whole chapter to bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said, anyway, football is back. Um. Manchester City played last night. We are recording on the Thursday, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, before we get into it, and I should say as well, for those who listen every week, uh, thank you. But we're going to do this week's episode a little bit different to usual. Uh, Visually, so the way we've got the chance this week to go to Liverpool's opponents. We're going to look at Everton and we're going to look at Crystal Palace. And usually, we, you know, we talk about the opponents, where, where, where the danger is and stuff like that, what we can exploit. And you wouldn't really see anything this week because we have the, the luxury of presenting um, over this call. We can actually show our viewers and our listeners, you know, what we're looking at. So this week, we're going to be a lot more visual than usual. So those who usually listen, I'd advise you this week, to give it a watch on YouTube and see how it, you know, see what you make of it. See if you think it's it's better or, you know, see if we should stick with it or whatever. But we'll see how we go anyway. So before we get into those two, uh, did you catch, catch last night's matches? Yeah, mate. Um, I, would, I wouldn't be much of a football fan if I didn't watch those two on the return. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was good. Obviously, the first, ga- first game was... Um, a bit that a bit a bit flat, but I, you know what? I kind of expected it. Um, it just that panned out a little bit to to what I was expecting. But the second one was obviously a little bit more lively, a lot more, you know, traditional entertainment in it. Yeah, I mean, one thing I really picked up on, especially in the first match, was the the lack of uh, risk taken on the ball. Mm. A lot of players just kind of reluctant to to play those line breaking passes that you you'd maybe be a bit more inclined to play when there's a lot of atmosphere and, and fans screaming at you and things like that. Mm. But I felt feel, I feel like a lot, a lot more of a safe match to me. Um, yeah, I'd say I, I, you could probably um, confirm that when kind of behaviours off the ball as well. There seems to be a lack of, I don't think commitment's the right term because I think every player out there wants to win the game. But maybe just that 10 or 20% boost that you get off the crowd, it, it was just lacking a little bit. Um, just looked a bit pedestrian in moments. Yeah, yeah. I think the crowd as well tends to impact like almost the randomness of football. Um, they have an influence over that, I think. And without the fans there, footballers, you know, are essentially allowed to think straight a bit more and think a bit clearer. And as a consequence, maybe they'll do less silly things on the ball, unless you're David Luiz, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sadly City won. Obviously, mm. like three goals to nil it was. So Liverpool can't win the title at Goodison Park. I'm not sure how you feel about that. Slept slept like a baby last night, I tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously people. I, 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 most people who watch the show know that I am an Everton fan, but it might surprise a few people. Um, and it doesn't interfere with any sort of objective analysis that I do with with yourself on the show or away from the show, but. I won't lie, I, I was kind of rooting for that one not to happen because I think that would have lingered for many years to come had that happened. And um I wouldn't have I wouldn't have fancied Everton stopping Liverpool on Sunday either. So 
it was really all in City's hands last night. So yeah, I apologise to everybody listening. I'll still um, <laughs> I'm still very objective with Liverpool, as you know. But yeah, that was quite relieved last night. I won't lie. Yeah, I think it's one of them, though, isn't it? Where you put David Luiz as your phone screensaver or something like that. Yeah, that's it. I did say I'll buy him a pint if I ever see him out. But um, <laughs> I mean, what a what a terrible performance by him. It was just I don't know. well, cons- considering this is a Liverpool show. I, I feel like I've experienced those players mm. a lot. Years. Players like Mignolet, especially. Um, Dejan Lovren does it. Man, did a few times. Mm. and These players were just really error-prone. There's no other word for it. And no matter how well coached you are, no matter how good your system is, all the hard work that you do, it just takes one mistake by those players to cost you and you're behind and you're chasing the game and all that sort of stuff so yeah well the the the, the decisive moments in games aren't they are normally split second kind of um kind of situations and if you just think of what happened with him yesterday the the two really decisive things that kind of decided the game were all his fault and they were both errors and that that's the game gone then um Yeah. yeah it was bad yeah, just before we get into the, the, the Liverpool previews, um, just one or two things that we, we may have learned from the Bundesliga ahead of the Premier League properly restarting. So going by the Bundesliga, obviously now we're allowed five substitutions. Only Paderborn in the whole of the Bundesliga have used five subs in every single match. And Bayern, who we'd expect to you know, have the deepest squad and that sort of thing, and you know substitution would probably benefit them the most. They've used the, the second least on average, actually, with about 3.8 per game. Um, and in terms of England, how the season's gone so far, no Premier League manager has used more, has used substitutes more often than Jurgen Klopp, and who's level with Graham Potter. Um, they've used all three substitutes in 27 of their 29 matches this season, um, followed interestingly by Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I think there's two other coaches in there. Mamo Pellegrini was in there, and I think Pochettino, but they're obviously unemployed at the moment. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll get into the Merseyside derby then. So, general thoughts, Dave, ahead of the match. Um, yeah, I think I, I think obviously from a Liverpool point of view, I'd, I'd have to be very confident for this one. Um. I just think, you know, ironically, Liverpool haven't got the, considering they're in the midst of their kind of best unbeaten run in, in the Derby fixture, they haven't got the greatest record at Goodison, just one win in seven. Um, obviously, no defeats in that time, of course, but even that one win was a last minute. So it, I feel like it's always been a bit of a tough place to not necessarily avoid defeat, um, but go on and win games there. Um but I think that is often down to the to the crowd and just you know how emotive Goodison can be for the for the bigger games and that maybe just slightly nullifying some of Liverpool's strengths whilst raising the performance of of Everton players. Um, I just can't see that happen on Sunday. And you've already touched on it earlier uh, in the show where you said about how without that kind of noise uh, from the fans, players can just be a little bit more clear in decision making and not kind of get um weighed weighed down i guess by by the atmosphere there's not going to be any there i just think that's where the, the class of the top players can kind of come to the forefront and i think from a liverpool point of view i'd be very confident this weekend yeah i do feel more confident than usual and i think i think that probably that probably relates to it i am glad that there's obviously no ground there because I think Goodison is one of the toughest places in the Premier League to go, especially if you're a Liverpool team. Mm. Um, so yeah, it will it will be interesting to see how it plays out. It'll be interesting to see if 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 both teams can be as intense as they was as they would like to be mm. on a on a normal given week. I think the start of the Arsenal City game is really fast. The tempo yeah. is really short. I'm quite impressed with that. But you know, whether Liverpool and Everton start with that intensity, considering the risk of, you know, losing the derby, maybe they'll be a bit more cautious from the off. Who knows? But I, I think... one thing I'd sorry, Josh, I was going to say one thing I do think inter- is interesting with the narrative of this particular game is 
it kind of feels like both teams can just, if they really wanted to, throw caution to the wind and just go for it because Liverpool are going to win the title anyway. And if they didn't win on Sunday and set up the victory at Anfield against Palace, then, you know, I think, am I right in saying they can then go and win it on City, at City, which is would be quite a, a nice way to do it. Um, so they may just be tempted to just go out and go all out at Everton. Most likely win, but not really lose any sleep if they don't. Whereas Everton are expected to get beat anyway. I haven't really got that much to play for. Slim, slim chance of Europe, but it looks a bit of a stretch. So they, they might just go all out as well. It, it could end up being a bit of a, a wild game. Yeah, it's a, it is a difficult one to predict. But, you know, if you actually look at the form, which there's mm. absolutely, there's probably no value in doing at all. Mm. But Liverpool have actually lost three of their last four matches in all yeah, competitions. Crazy. Mm. Uh, Watford, Atletico Madrid, and I think there was one more team in there, I can't remember who it was. Chelsea, uh, was it? FA Cup? Yeah, Chelsea it was. Mm. And if you look at Everton, Everton's last match, I think I'm right in saying, was a 4 0 defeat to Chelsea as well. Yeah, and so, really well beaten in that game as well. Yeah, um, mm. so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. I think both teams will be going into it with effectively a blank slate in the heads. I don't think these, you know, pass results will be playing. By any kind of factor in this, but um, just team then. Just before we move on, Josh, what's what is your thoughts on the whole home form advantage, like home advantage stuff? Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to do it. I've, no. I've seen the odd, the, the odd um, claim towards the Bundesliga that you know home wins are down by a certain percentage and things like that, and I don't think it's. it's I just. Think case of maybe the best performance team wins or you know that sort of thing I think there's, there's less outside influence from factors I think even the referee as well the referee is less, less impacted by the supporters and things like that so the referee is making more objective decisions than he was before mm. so I think it's I think I think there's less time being wasted and things like that mm. um, so the ball gets back and play a, a bit quicker and things so I think it's generally a, a fair game yeah you know that's it's funny so I um I've I've written about this from a Liverpool point of view in a piece that'll be going out on Liverpool Echo over the next day or so. And I did look into kind of using the Bundesliga as as this rare opportunity to actually look at a, a kind of sample of games behind closed doors because obviously traditionally football's always played in, in front of many spectators, so you don't really get to see it. And the um before COVID nineteen there was 43% of Bundesliga matches have ended in home wins and since um, it's restarted that's dropped to 21% um, you already touched on it there I think the, a key difference is the sample size it was roughly I think it was 448 pre-pandemic Bundesliga matches compared to just 52 posts so you know obviously as you've already said that's a low number of fixtures can be heavily influenced by you know, unbalanced matchups, injuries, looks, ref, referees, whatever, loads of impacting variables. But if you actually look at the uh, Bundesliga 2, Australian Bundesliga, the Danish Superliga and Poland's top division, you've actually seen a similar drop in home wins there as well. I think we, we, we it looks like home wins have, have halved across all those divisions uh, since they've all re restarted. But... I also agree that I don't think suddenly it's become an advantage for the, on, on away sides because it just doesn't make any logical sense, does it, that from, from the away side to be playing in an unrecognised empty stadium compared to the hosts who, yeah, there's no fans there, but they play there, you know, half their fixtures a season. It makes sense that it would benefit the away side. But I think ultimately what it is, is it's come down to maybe just home teams have now lost that advantage. So away sides aren't necessarily getting a better advantage, but home sides have just lost a yeah. little advantage that they had in terms of having the fans there. And as you just touched on there, I think it's just making for the more uh, balanced game, which in the case of this this one on Sunday, Everton versus Liverpool, really just kind of turns the tide more into a potential Liverpool victory. Yeah, well, you know, as you were saying that then, I was thinking to myself, Liverpool played a few of the, the, the fiercest rivals, let's say, at home in the first mm -hmm. leg of the season. And if you look at the next few weeks, we've obviously got Everton supposed to be away 
Man City supposed to be away, mm. and they're playing against both of those teams. You know, with Arsenal in there as well. Is that Arsenal's right? in there, yeah. yeah. Um, Chelsea was supposed to be at Anfield. United have played twice. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, City and Everton, obviously two of our fiercest rivals. Um, highly likely to want us to lose a few more games. Um, but they won't have to have the home support. So I think maybe from a Liverpool perspective, maybe we have benefited very slightly. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just in terms of Carlo Ancelotti then, what what exactly has he has he done to Everton? But you know, how, how do you expect the team to set up and that sort of thing? Yeah. So it feels like he's. Um, if I'm being brutally honest, it feels like he's come in and probably realised that the, the side that he's inherited is is fairly limited in their abilities. You know, they've got some really good players, as we've mentioned before. You know, you got like Richarlson, Luca Dean, and stuff. Um, or Luca Digne, whichever you prefer. Um, so they've got some good talent in there, but as a whole, it's a fairly limited side at the mainly through some bad recruitment over the years. So he's kind of come in and just in, installed a really basic 4-4-2 formation because um, it's 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 a formation that can really be adopted fairly easily and get the best out of the players that he has. Um, so Everton in possession they look to be quite penetrative. Um, you've got your two up top, Richarlison and Calvert Lewin, who are actually really good in terms of you know winning balls in the air, working hard off the ball, holding the ball up well. You know, two really good forwards, probably two of the best in the Premier League. Um, then, yeah, the wingers tend to drift inside, um, almost like, I guess sometimes you'd, it'd look a little bit like a 4 2 2 2. Um, have I added the two on there? Um, no, I always question whether I do that as well. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't look good for me, Matt's skills, but um, just with the idea of, you know, creating space for wing backs, and that's where Everton are normally most dangerous and focus a lot of their attacks down the flanks and getting balls into the, into the box. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I picked up on was that they're, they're a lot more vertical, um, mm. a lot more forward-thinking, a, a lot less possession-orientated and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and I think that's just generally suited the team, to be honest, because I, I think they were inclined to, I don't know, build, build possession games and that under Marcos. He didn't really have the players to, to penetrate, really, mm. I thought, at least. No, you're right, um, yeah, totally. Just what you mentioned there about Everton's four two two two. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to count it like that in the future, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll start start with the visualization. So hopefully you can see. See that, Dave? Yeah, can't believe you used the uh, the red format. <laughs> I'm sticking with the the blood red theme, aren't I? Yeah, I suppose. Is, yeah, I suppose. This mate, is the yeah. blood red channel, isn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah, but the. Hopefully, you know, if you're watching, you can see that that's that's Everton's most used system this season, four four two. Um, as Dave said, the wide players, wide midfielders, at least tend to put inside and form kind of an attacking bank of four. Um, fullbacks push on, um, and the central midfielders tend to sit. Obviously, they've had very little stability with that in terms of injuries and things like that. But that that's kind of what we're going up against. Um, there's nothing particularly. Um, that's a unique maybe about the four four two system that Ancelotti's using. I think one thing I will put out, point out, is that the banks of the, the banks of four that you can see there, Chelsea I think had a lot of joy playing through. Um, when he beat Everton four nil, um, Billy Gilmore I think was was one to shine. I'm not sure Liverpool will be quite as as technical breaking the lines as Chelsea were. I think Liverpool are a bit more direct, but um. Yeah, I, I, that that was one thing that one week in the start I definitely picked up on when I was watching Everton against Chelsea those those few months ago. Yeah, it was yeah, uh, yeah it was really yeah. bad. It felt like um, players kind of drifting in between the lines, and Everton just lacked any real. Um, I, I can't think of the term I'm looking for. Dynamism, I guess, through the middle where they just couldn't seem to close them down quick enough, couldn't really track the movements, and um, a lot of overloads in, in the midfield and. They just really struggled to handle it. Um, I'm not really sure how they're going to counter it this this weekend either. I know Liverpool don't tend to build a ton through the middle, but um, you know if you think of the way Firmino drops off and that kind of behaviour, I think that'll be 
that'll be quite difficult for them to to contain. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting match. I mean, one one of the weaknesses I think I I, I can't not highlight is uh, is Jordan Pickford. Yeah. Um, I think there's obviously we've got Alisson Bath as well, which is highly beneficial for Liverpool. Um, but I think I think Pickford, if, if I was if I was a blue at least, would, would be a concern considering that the, the number of shots Liverpool tend to have and the number of shots Liverpool tend to go on target. Yeah, yeah, Pickford. Um... Well, I've I've been his biggest critic at times. Um, I'm not. I'm just not impressed. I don't think he's. He, he looks as if he's performing as a top keeper at the moment. I think all the metrics, and we. I'm sure we've talked about even even on this show. But I know we have another show was about how he's one of the um, one of the worst ranking keepers certainly in the Premier League this season, um, and he's got a lot to prove. I think if he wants to try and stay. A, a side like Everton, who were obviously they got someone like Ancelotti, and now they're clearly trying to climb towards those European places. I think he needs to show a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, hope, hopefully you can see that visualization yeah. on the screen there. That that is the the shots on target that Jordan Pickford has faced in the Premier League this season. Those that are grey, um, or yeah, those that are grey were off target or blocked, um. Those that are in colour are the shots that he's facing. The stars are the goals. The, the stars are the shots that I've, that I've actually found a net. And I think for me, there's, there's too many there that I would expect him to... I mean, at a glance, at least, I mean, you obviously can't see the actual situation, but at a glance, you'd expect him to save a few more of them, particularly think, the, uh, the four yeah, or yeah. five outside the box. Yeah, there's one in that right before the... Um, right before we the COVID-19... Maybe the last home game for Everton, Bruno Fernandes beat him. And if you're looking at the visualization now, I think it's the uh, the 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 one to our right looking at it, um, further to the right outside the box, one more down. I think it's that yeah, one, I think yeah, it was yeah. that one, yeah. And it was it was something that I, I, even an average keeper I think would have dealt with, and it just managed to kind of squeeze under his body, and it was a really bad goal to concede from from a nothing moment, really. Um, and obviously, I, th- goal. I, think, I think that goal as well was was the first goal of the match, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. So Everton, sure. Everton oh, maybe sorry. Start chasing the game. Sorry, sorry, it wasn't. It was Everton had scored early on, and you really want to you want to build on it, and you end up conceding oh, yeah. a really cheap goal like this, um, and suddenly United are back in the game, and ultimately that's that's cost Everton three points. Well, cost them two points because the game's finished the draw, um, and there's just been too much of that this season. I think he, he can pull out decent saves, but it's there's no point um, there's no point doing these are great saves. You're just going to do that good work by not doing the basics. But you can see that the cheap one against Palace, who we'll be talking about in a bit as well, uh, Ben Teke scored, scored a really uh, a really poor goal um, to to concede from an Everton point of view. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a concern. I mean, this might be I don't know what. Tad judgmental, but um, yeah, I think looking at Pickford's character, I'm inclined to think maybe he'll be one of the few who suffer from the lack of atmosphere in the ground, or maybe even benefit from it. You know, I think he's the type to. I, th- I just think he loves the the drama. I've, I've said this a few times too, haven't I? Mm. Um, and I think if there's less of that going on, maybe he'll be more inclined to focus on on what his job is really. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think. Um... Yeah, he does. He he kind of just loves that the buzz, and you've seen if you he's someone who's in these highly emotive games. He's someone who's a liability. Some players thrive on it and find that kind of next that next level. Really, he for me is a liability. I've saw it often in the derby games, and another really big fixture for him in terms of emotions is is Newcastle. Um, obviously being a, a Sunderland born lad. And he's had some really poor games against Newcastle. Uh, one at St James's Park last season, where he uh, he was a bit all over the show and he gave away a penalty. Um, and he's pulling these stupid faces as he's kind of coming off, like he's like he's enjoying the the banter, I guess. But it's just not what you you want to just think of like a, a calm and presence. If we use Allison as the most obvious example, you never really see him looking flustered or or you know kind of 
excitable, do you? He, he's kind of just doing his job at all times and a bit of a calm and presence for the defence and, and the team. Yeah, I mean, I've said plenty. I'm not the biggest fan of Pickford. I think that's that's quite well known, to be honest. Um, mm. But I, 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 do you have any thoughts then in terms of like whether he will benefit or suffer from this sort of environment? You know, I think he could potentially benefit. Um, I think, you know, it's not something I've really thought about until you've just mentioned it then. But um, he, he's kind of lost the trust a little bit of, of Everton fans, um, I feel anyway. And this can create, create a little bit of nerves, a little bit of getting on his back if, if, if he does something wrong or, you know, a bit of a loose pass or it doesn't quite collect. Drops it, you know, just these little things where if you've got the support of your home fans, um, they tend to get a pass. But when you're Pickford, um, who hasn't really recovered with the fan base since the era at Anfield last season, I think it might just do him good to not not have that added pressure in the stadium. Yeah, um, just at a glance of where Everton tends to get attacked. Um, hopefully you can see that Everton tends to suffer more attacks down their own right side as opposed to their left. For me, that's not particularly surprising considering um, I think Sadiwi's a little bit prone to being a bit positionally flawed and things like that. And I think he's been in and out the side as well, hasn't he? Whereas yeah, on, yeah. Left, on, on left-hand side, you've got Lucas Dean, who's a little bit stronger for me. Yeah, yeah. when... Um... Well, I knew we were going to be touching on kind of weak, where we think potential issues or weaknesses could be from an Everton point of view. The, the right side is something that, along with the central midfield, I I highlighted. Um, because Coleman and Sadibia really kind of similar profiles in many ways. You know, Coleman carries the ball up the pitch really well. Um, Sadibia's got a really good direct attack and threat. He, he puts in a really good ball in the box, which is good when you've got the likes of a Charles and a Calvert Lewin, who were good in the air, um, but both are, are pretty below par in terms of the defensive output, certainly compared to other people in their positions across the division. And certainly, if we're talking about Sadibi, I think he is a player who, as you've just touched on, positionally can be all over the place, a little bit out of sorts. And as 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 we're seeing there on the visualization, he's he, he's easily targeted. Um, and that's kind of where a lot of people enjoy enjoy getting their success. Well, a lot of sides do. Sorry, enjoy getting success against Everton going down that down that flank. Yeah, I mean it's, the, it's the, obviously the flank that Sadio Mane tends to occupy. So it'll be a little <laughs> yeah. bit ominous to be honest. That that prospect. Um, see how it plays out. I think both teams do have quite an interest though in in set pieces for me. I think Liverpool that's almost. You know, undeniable, really. But I think Everton have shown the odd little, the odd little setup since Angelotti's came in. Um, I think they've used Yeri Mina a few times. Who he's he's out, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He'll be out for the top. Yeah, maybe maybe they'll be less inclined to then if they haven't got the you know the six foot six foot four man inside the penalty box. But I think considering how tight the match could be on paper, at least a set piece could be quite an easy way around. Um. Getting ahead in the match, really, especially considering if Van Dyke goes up, he won't have to deal with with Mina. You know, I, mm. I think Van Dyke will be the tallest on the pitch. By I think Mason Holgate's only about five foot eleven. Mm. Isn't yeah. isn't that yeah. tall for centre back? Um, oh, he, he's good on he's good on he's good in ground duels, Holgate. But in terms of um, in terms of aerial threat, he he's probably someone that Van Dyke could be thinking. You know, I could maybe take advantage of of um, of coming up against him. You'd like to think that Evan wouldn't kind of make that 1v1 in a set-piece situation, but it, it can happen. You know, Liverpool are really good, as you've touched on there, with um, with set-pieces, and they'll, be, I'm sure, be finding ways where they can create these mismatches in the box. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Van Dijk, and we'll bring Gomez in as well, I am inclined to think that this will be a, a much tougher game than they're used to dealing with, and in terms of this being the first game back, I, I don't really think you can... You can think of a strike pairing in the whole of the Premier League, who are uh, a waste, a waste duo to face in your in your first competitive match back. I think there are a handful with Charleston and Calvert Lewin, and yeah, I think I think our two centre backs will. They're usually really, really in control of 
of everything you do, really. But I think when you're facing two physical players like that who are also mobile and really in your face, mm. I think it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, if you think in the modern game now, most centre-back parents tend to face you know one one centre forward who they can between them um hopefully try and govern and you know pass on to pass on to the partner and then take them back and just kind of monitor them in that way but if if you're going to be facing two um both centre backs going to have basically a direct 1v1 opponent and then when you, you throw in the stuff that you've just said about how mobile they are, how they're pretty good in the air, um, willing runners as well. You know, they'll they'll make runs into the into the into the flanks behind in behind the defence. Um, yeah, they, I think they're gonna. I'm not saying that Liverpool's backed um, well, pair and couldn't couldn't handle them, but as you say, I think it'll just be a tougher tougher evening than what they're probably used to. Yeah, you mentioned that they're pretty good in the air. Um, a little bit of an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a little look before at the shots that Everton have taken this season, and in particular the headed shots. So hopefully you can see that. Um, considering every team's now played the same amount of matches, I think I'm right in saying mm. that is the total number of headed shots of every team in the Premier League this season. Um, Everton out in front at the top considerably with around 80 that is um i'd assume most of them to be from richarlison and carver lewin possibly a few from corns from yeti mean i think yeah um, last i checked on that josh sorry last what? i checked on that it was um it was i think three of the top five of the premier league in terms of headed shot attempts with everett players richarlison carver lewin and and yeah, Remina, which gives you an indication of just how kind of it's a real uh, important form of attack for them. Yeah, I mean, the difference there between, say, for example, Manchester United who are really near the bottom and Chelsea who are in second place, the difference in those two is almost the difference in Chelsea and Everton um, in terms of the size of the bars. So obviously Everton are really big on posing an aerial threat and that sort of thing. Obviously, you've got Lucas Dean on the flanks, putting deliveries in. Um, you know, thankfully we've got a, a really competent keeper, and we've got probably the best centre back in the league in, in in the year, possibly alongside Harry Maguire. So, I think we've said in the past I, I wouldn't overly expect Liverpool to struggle, but I think the last time I said that, I think Richarlison scored a header on field. Yeah, which yeah, was rare to see. You know, don't, we don't see that a lot really. That was quite. That was quite a surprise to see see them see the header like um, like in fact am I right in I'm get I might be getting confused here because the game was a while ago was the two headed efforts in that game? Wait, did I can't even remember. I, I think Mike, yeah, I feel like was. I'll have a little gander while um, whilst you're having a chat. But for some reason, I feel like Michael Keane. Maybe it was a really unusual scorer who who um, who managed to put one in. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Michael um, Keane. Yeah, Michael Keane, yeah. So he's oh, excuse me. He scored a headed headed effort, I think. Um which was quite rare to see. Oh yeah. not working, it was just from a set piece, sorry. Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> In terms of fear of threats then, that um Liverpool will have to cater for sort of thing. Put this together before. Um hopefully you can see that. So that one is number of touches per progressive pass so essentially the player at the top when he's on the ball is the most likely player in the Everton squad to play a progressive pass whereas Yeri Mina at the bottom is the least likely played progressive pass. Yeri Mina plays a progressive pass roughly every 24 touches. Lucas Dean on the other hand progressive pass roughly every seven touches along with Alex Iwobi who you know, where it gets a bit of stick from certain Everton groups. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. But uh, if you look at Everton there, obviously the two fullbacks quite influential in terms of bringing Everton um, up the field. There will be another one who you've probably got to keep an eye on. But other than that, maybe you'd be inclined in saying 
inclined to say that you you don't you're not particularly worried, especially considering the players in central zones, with the exception of Tom Davis, who I'm not sure will play. Uh, Andre Gomez isn't particularly inclined to, to hit one. Fabian Delph, who I think is injured. Um, but yeah, th- those are the players who, who essentially are, are likely to bring Everton closer towards Liverpool's goal. So you've probably got to keep an eye on them. Mm. Uh, any surprises there, Dave? No, um, it, it seems seems right to me that um, and it's kind of what you probably expect on the pitch as well. You know, um, the, the, a Wobie does get a lot of stick, but I think the reason why is, and we've covered this topic before, is he's a player who will try and play progressive passes, you know, make passes work in and around the final third. They might not always come off, but uh, when they do, they're a lot more, they have a lot more of an impact for the for the side than, um, than say, players who are a little bit more reserved in possession. But sometimes the narrative from that can can present to players being wasteful. Awobi isn't that, but that's how it can some kind of, sometimes seen. And I think that's why he's um, he's kind of thought of the way he is at Everton at the moment. But yeah, I think what you you've pretty much highlighted with that is there that the players who are going to be the ones trying to make things happen um, inside Liverpool's half if they can. Yeah, it's essentially it, it could even bode, you know, come down to a, a battle of fallbacks, really, couldn't it? Because I think Liverpool's on the opposite side would be similar if I was to get. I haven't produced Liverpool's vis this time around, but I'd assume Liverpool's to be really, really similar in terms of Trent and Robertson being mm. all progressive, all progressive. So yeah, it could be could be a case of you know the fallbacks to perform the best or, or something like that. Yeah, um, I'm expecting Everton to be fit a lot more compact in this game than they were as well against Chelsea. So they probably will think, although we know how good Liverpool's fullbacks are, they'll probably just think, let them have it in those wide areas and just remain fairly compact through the middle and focus on basically avoiding keeping the threat away from the from the goal. Yeah. So what's your verdict on this one? Then where do you see it going? Where do you see the game being won and lost? Sort of thing. Um. Yeah, I think that, that I have to be honest. For me, Mane has just been phenomenal over these last eighteen months, and the I think him up against um, that right side is a, is a big issue. Um, I think that's going to be potentially where we could see the game won for Liverpool. I can't see anything but the Liverpool win. Um, so, saying that, actually, I actually recall um, in the the Anfield. I recall Robertson basically playing as a winger, and I recall Liverpool getting in quite a few times. Marco Silva was in charge at the time, but Liverpool, I recall, played plenty of diagonal passes towards that that side of the pitch, mm. um, and it it obviously worked on the day. I'll try and get up a little graphic that I put together because I remember writing about it actually at the time. Mm. But um, you know, maybe, maybe that's where it's going to come down to. Yeah, I, just, I think it will. One difference in in, in that game was I thought they were. Everton, the line was too high and there was no pressure on the person in possession. So they could just kind of, you know, take the time, get the head up and pick the pass out. I'd like to think Ancelotti is a little bit more savvy than, than Silver is. It might, they might make them work a little bit harder for that. But yeah, I think that is that is really going to be a weak, weak pass. I think Liverpool's left side is really good, as is the right. But I think Everton's left side can deal, deal a little bit better with it. But... Evans' right side versus Liverpool's left. I think that could be the decisive area where we're going to see Liverpool probably get the most success in terms of creating chances. Yeah, I've, I've just found the photo here. I'm not sure if it'll work getting up because it's, it's quite a small photo for some reason. Um, but it, it, yeah, there it is. It's, it captures what the ploy was in terms of the tactical shape, at least. So that that's kind of what happened, I suppose. Um, Robertson would would constantly make those runs, and Trent is up here, whereas Robertson's down here, and I think Liverpool are a little bit asymmetric in that way, um, a bit more penetrative down Everton's right, and maybe a bit more, I don't know, let's say creative on the on on the on Everton's left sort of thing without without being particularly penetrative. So, be interesting to see if we go down that route again. Um, can you remember what Everton's formation was on that day? Um. I can't. I've got a feeling it could have been maybe a four-two-three-one uh, potentially. But having a look at bring that graphic back up for us, please. Let's have a look. Uh, at it. I'm gonna say. 
because it looked like a fairly like a flat four four two without the ball. Um, I mean, it's even looking at that now, you can see anybody watching will be able to see the major issues in the sense that um, you've basically got a really compact kind of high line, but then nobody pressuring the person on the ball and. Yeah, I think we, I think at the time we we did speak after the match, didn't we, of, mm. of why it was why it was a problem, sort of thing. Um, particularly the, the the lack of pressure on the ball. Hopefully, you can see that again. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at that, um, it's I mean it's 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 terrible, really. That line, it doesn't. So it looks like they've maybe gone. It, it's almost like a five-four-one without the ball, um, which isn't a million miles away from. From what we um, what we could see on Sunday, um, but yeah, it's. I, I think what you'd probably see there is you might see that. I think under this Angelotti side, you'll see that defensive line a little bit further, uh, further back. Uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be on, yeah. And you probably see a little bit more pressure uh, on on players. And I mean, it'll be pressing traps. It won't just be kind of running willy nilly. They'll. Be picking the moments to put the pressure on, but that defensive line will be a lot, a lot deeper. But I'd still, this is a concern that the way we're looking at that now, I would still fancy Robertson versus Sadibi, even if that defensive line is deeper uh, in terms of a lofted ball over his head. I think his position is really poor. Um, I think Liverpool still find plenty of success doing that. Yeah, I mean Liverpool have presented a. Little bit of a double jeopardy problem to him there anyway with with Mane slightly on his inside, mm. and I think that is Firmino there just ahead of him. So I think that's quite intentional to be honest to just cause him a problem to just present a few questions to him, which we've said in the past is what Liverpool are so good at doing, placing doubts in, in the minds of opponents sort of thing. Yeah, um, Lovren actually played that match and Lovren I think got an assist. I think one of one of the goals that we scored I think it was the Origi one. Um. Lovren assisted, so I would be surprised to see Lovren start. To be honest, but if he did, maybe he'd, maybe he'd be in place for his, for his long passes because I don't think Gomez has ever really been the type to hit those. Yeah, I think what you know could we could potentially see more of is, and I think this is a really good. And obviously, I can't show the video itself, but I'll show it in two parts. Um, just give me one second. Um. Just while you're doing that, uh, I'll get up the, the actual Lovren pass uh, picture, that is. That's the pass Lovren played, and Arigi ended up scoring that, I think I'm right in saying. Um, yeah, that was I right, like, yeah. I feel like it was a lob. I can't remember whether it was a lob or not. You're right. But what we've seen in terms of, and this is under Ancelotti, which I think could be a little bit more, uh, more relevant to now, is just let me know if that comes up. Um, yeah, is my, am I still sharing? No. Uh, let's have a look. No, no, Should I think be. I'm on now. I'm on now. Right, so yeah, go on, if go people on. have a look, you could potentially see the way Louise carried the ball out here. You could potentially see something like Van Dyke doing that. And if you mm. just look at Sadibi's um, positioning yeah. here, he's oblivious to the runner of Bamiang. And if you replace Bamiang with, say, Mane, um, and then we just move it forward. He switches completely off there, a through ball, um, in on goal there. And I think we could see a lot of that where the clever balls just through the t the centre back and and Sadibi onto like someone like say Mane running in behind or Robertson. And I think that'll cause that'll cause major issues. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great point. I think that's a considering that the, the similar threat that Abamian poses to 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 Sadio Mane. And the fact that, you know, depending on Everton's shape, Liverpool may have a centre-back with a bit of space ahead of them to, to drive into like that. I think that is that is actually something that we, we, we may really see on yeah. the day. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Spent a bit of time on Everton there, so I'd expect the win, despite it being a Cudderson Park. And we will move on swiftly to Crystal Palace. This could be the match where Liverpool win the league. Um, so hopefully after will be, you know, I'll, I'll be recording with no kicks on probably. Or like <laughs> I actually, I, I actually, um, I had the confirmation that I'll be covering that game at Anfield. Well, yeah, yeah. It feels like 
of the millions of Liverpool fans around the world who <laughs> would pay. It's that that's kind of wasted on me a little bit. Um, but it'll, it'll it'll be it'll be good to say you were there, I suppose. Um, yeah. Let me know so, if you yeah. can't go on here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, I'll tell you what. You just wear my cap now. I'm put some uh, scruffy hair underneath it. I'll give you some of mine, and uh, I think you'd be all right to take my. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, when we do get to Crystal Palace again, I would expect to win personally. Mm-hmm. Um, Hodgson. We spoke earlier about substitutes. Hodgson is one of the few. Is is one of the lowest? Sorry, in the league in terms mm-hmm. of subs, averages about two point four per match. I think there's only about maybe, I think David Moyes have just fewer, maybe one more, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, Hodgson, Hodgson tends to stick with a relatively small squad. Um, and obviously, as we know, very, very reliant on Wilfred Zaha. They predominantly play what you would say is a 4-5-1 without the ball, 4-3-3 with it. And as I said, Zaha's the key man. Zaha's the man that they try and play through. And... You know, any any graphics that we get up now are going to catch you that because he, he very clearly shows up as the main threat. There is the, the average positions of Palace's most used formation. As you can see, the left side forward here is Wilfred Zaha and he's obviously the highest player closer to goal. Um, and yet, you know, the, the threat in behind sort of thing, he's, he's kind of offering... A relatively similar dynamic to what Mane offers on a, on our left side, I suppose. Um, and yeah, he's, he's he's certainly a player that we're going to have to cater for. Yeah, that um, the way that's lined up there, although it's a four-five-one, it, it looks a bit like a four-three-three in many ways, doesn't it? And it reminds me a little bit of the Coutinho era um, of Liverpool's four-three-three, where there was just such a kind of reliance on one player and. Um, they, that play is just kind of the focus of all possession and they're almost out on their own a little bit. Like there's not that many players around Zaha there. It's kind of like give the ball to him and let him do his, his, his dribbling and, you know, progresses up the pitch type thing. And um, yeah, it feels like if you keep him quiet, that's basically nullifying their, their biggest threat. Yeah, well, I, I, th- I think that actually captures the fact he's so out on his own. I think captures how how... His ability really to to cope when he's in isolation with, without teammates, he can get himself out of tricky situations. He doesn't really need support as much as, say, for example, Andros Townsend does on the opposite flank. Um, and he, he's you know he's he's that capable really. He's, he's that he's that tricky. I think in terms of what he does does offer to Palace, he is crucial in terms of bringing them up the field because obviously they tend to sit very deep, and he is. He's really important in terms of passing into the penalty box. Mm. Um, Palace, if, if they ever do sell Zaha or, or, or if they lose him or whatever, I think they will have to invest in a player who I think gets just the ball for them, basically brings them closer to goal because you don't really have many players that do it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it'd, it'd be really tough for Palace to replace. Yeah, um, just a few more visualizations that capture uh, what. What Zaha exactly offers and how Zaha tends to be tends to be played through. Uh, just give me a second. So, in terms of passion flow, which is, you know, the, the darkness of the of the viz captures um, the heat map of the of the players, and the arrows capture where where the players are most likely to pass, um, where the teams most likely to pass in those areas. So I'll show you what I mean. A little bit difficult to. To explain, um, it's not coming up. You want to fill a space, Dave? <laughs> yeah, try. <laughs> See, this is what I love about uh, about this podcast. It's just uh, we're so professional. <laughs> but now it's uh, uh, yeah. He's as I said, he is a, he's an interesting player. I think Palace. I'll just move off slightly, Zaha, and you can pull us back in a minute. But yeah. I just think Palace are very much a side where you kind of know what you're getting in it. The, what you probably label as a ceiling club and a ceiling side where um Hodgson will have to kind of Hodgson will stick to what what he can trust you know they have the oldest team league I, I did some analysis on teenagers in the Premier League this season and they've only used one season and he only amassed 13 minutes I can't even remember who it is so it's just 
under under Hodgson, just a side who, who basically kind of uh, almost industrious like and just relying on flair through one one individual player. Yeah, as you can see now, I put the visualization up and. Palace is left, I think it's safe to say, is a bit more forward-thinking, a bit more penetrative than the right side. The right side's a little bit more sideways. Um, obviously, the ball spends more time on the left as well, considering the dark patches. Mm. And, yeah, I think I think that, that adequately captures Palace's, um, Palace's threat, which I think, incessantly, is probably well-suited to facing Liverpool, considering, you know, Van Dijk is on Liverpool. Trent... Right, who's probably the weakest of Liverpool's defenders without the ball. Um, so yeah, I think Palace for a while, to be honest, for, for, for decades of fields, have been quite well suited to facing Liverpool. I, I think. Yeah. What did the um, What did the first game finish? I to remember the earlier I think we we led one nil. They equalised late on, about eighty four minutes. I think it was Zaha as well, oh, and then okay, we yeah. scored a late winner. Oh okay, yeah. I, this this is ringing the bell now. Uh, yeah, November it was. It was around the same. Um, there was that late winner Villa as well. Yeah, it was. So for me, you know, drop the uh, only three minutes after Zaha scored. Yeah, so it's funny, isn't it? It's always it, uh, in the eyes of Liverpool fans, Palace for some reason. There's there's almost like this little um, it, not vendetta, but there's this little thing of always wanting to to beat them. I think it goes to obviously what happened in 2014. And am I right in saying Josty were the last side to win at Anfield? Is that right in the Premier League? Yeah, I think yeah, I think they were. Yeah, um, and I think it would be quite fitting, although it's not exactly a a, a massive rival. Let's say it's, it would be quite fitting if we was to, if we was able to win the league against Palace, who have been quite um, a thorn, a bit of a thorn. Yeah, that's the word yeah, I was going to yeah. use. Yeah, they're just a. The, the, the kind of the small team that won't go away really. Mm. Um, one more on Palace's threat, and and to capture what Zaha is doing. Um, there is Palace's shot map for the season, shot locations, um, from open play, and I think it's fair to say that there's that it's quite weighted towards the left hand side of the box as opposed mm. to the right. Um. And obviously that stems from that's that's where the attack most, that's where Zaha plays. Uh yeah, and that sort of thing. So again, that's that that's what we're dealing with. It's a very easy threat. Well, not very easy threat to identify, let's say. Um and I'd expect Liverpool to, to plan ahead for that. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. That's I suppose what one positive from a Liverpool point of view is um Without lacking that any any real diversity to the attack, it is a lot easier for um, Klopp and, and the team to kind of prepare the Liverpool players for for their threat. And we we always bang on, don't we? That it's it's really good to be a side you can attack in many different ways and be unpredictable. But sadly, Palace are quite one dimensional, even if they're quite good in what in what they do offer through Zaha. Um, so I think it'll be again. You know, not tempting fate from a Liverpool point of view, but I'd be very surprised if 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 Liverpool didn't deal with with their threat quite easily. Yeah, in terms of their threat, they don't they don't really offer much at all. In terms of expected goals this season, excluding penalties, uh, they are ahead of only Newcastle United, um, and have taken the fewest shots in the whole of the Premier League with two hundred eighty four, nine behind Sheffield United. Um, their XG per shot as well is the second worst XG per shot for those that don't know offers an insight into how clear cut the average chance is for you how close to goal sort of thing so obviously if you're the second worst most of the shots that you're taking are quite poor in comparison to normal um, on the defensive side though you know they are, they are decent and I think it's why they stay in the league really Um They've got a mid-table defence for me, or maybe even slightly above. And I think um, their goalkeeper in particular, I'm not sure you're aware, Dave Vince, Vicente Guaita, is over overperformed considerably this season. Yeah, I had I didn't have the um, I didn't have the exact numbers, but I knew he was he was up there with like a um, I can't think of the Newcastle goalkeeper's name, but I just know he'd um, he'd been yeah yeah 
I know he'd had a, a, a decent season and he'd been, you know, quite solid for them. Um, did you know much about his sister? Because I didn't know how old he's like 33, I think. No, I know, I know very, very little about him, to be honest. I think he came yeah. in. I think he came in, this is a complete guess really, but I think he came in due to an injury or something because he, he just seemed to start start starting matches for Palace. Um, mm. I don't know where really, I think it was a, I don't think he's been in goal all season, has he? No, I, I, I don't think so either, but I'm similar to you. Um, and you he said he's played 27 90s here. Oh, so okay, there's only yeah. been two matches that he hasn't started, that he hasn't played the full game in. So maybe he's just under the radar. Mm. But it's fair to say he hasn't had a fantastic career, otherwise I assume we'd oh, yeah, know yeah. about him. So it's a little bit of a stroke of of luck for Palace, really, that he's kind of ended up becoming one of the league's better goalkeepers, I think. Yeah, I mean, according to post-shot expected goals, um, he's saved 8.2 goals more than, than normal rate than expected. How many? So, Eight point two. Oh, that's, that's, quite, that's quite. Yeah, that's, 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 that's post shots as well. Um, and as you said, the only goalkeeper to to outdo that is the Bravka in Newcastle's goal. He's overperformed by eight point seven goals. But usually, I mean, you know, keepers can have one off seasons like this, but that tends to offer an insight into into whether a keeper is saving, you know, above average rates. At, you know, to to an above average level sort of thing. Mm. So if he saved his team eight point two goals, you know that's that's considerable and that, that that's a fair few results. I mean, I assume Palace have won a fair few games by a goal to nil, for example. Yeah, um, I think it's especially good when you're the side who don't tend to score a lot of goals or create a lot of attacking chances because, you know, if you look at Sheffield United, who obviously down there with Palace in terms of kind of attacking output and, and, and goals in general that you know they don't they don't score or create a, a, a lot but their defense is so good that you know they can be mounting a, a challenge for, for europe and all right so palace are a little bit of a lesser extent to that but it, i think that defense has kind of been the difference between them being mid-table and them potentially fighting off relegation yeah um yeah so we'll We'll, we'll go with verdict then. So, what are you expecting for for Palace? Assuming that that's the match when when Liverpool can first win the league, if if all goes to plan. I, I just think there'd be such a, a buzz to get get over the line after you know three and a half months of, of waiting. Although you could argue it's been longer than that because for me the title was done before Christmas. Um, I just think the Liverpool players would be really at it just to get over the line, and I think you. It might not, and I'm not saying they'll blow them away, but I'd fancy a, a clean sheet. I'd go 2 0 for Liverpool. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to go with that as well. I didn't actually actually for the score for the Everton game, did I? Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't going to remind you. <laughs> um, for Everton, I, I think it could be, I don't know. I can, see you, I can see you clenching your fist there. <laughs> I'm going to go. Uh, we about a four nil. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I can think something like a three nil. I keep replaying the uh, the Dortmund Schalke game. No, I, was, I, was, I was gonna say that. I was gonna say yeah, that. Yeah, I think uh, although that was at Dortmund, whereas this is at Goodison, uh, it just reminds me of where you know Schalke were kind of loitering mid table, not a lot to play for. Uh, Dortmund was still on for the title at that point, and they kind of were just by far the better side and. I can see something like that happening again this Sunday in, in, in a similar type derby. Yeah. I think I'd go 2 0 Palace and Everton. About the same, maybe three. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends how Liverpool respond to this break. Liverpool, historically, to be honest, without rhythm, Liverpool don't tend to do that, that great. It's when we get a rhythm, we start yeah. to really perform. We can't possibly have a rhythm without three three months of, of, of matches. So, you know, maybe it'll be a, a little bit a little bit more disjointed than we used to seeing. You know, but if Liverpool really want to come up the block because they haven't played for three months, then you know I think that's probably going to be unfortunate for Everton. I'll tell you what is interesting, Josh. Just before we do round up, I don't think Everton have played a well. No game has been competitive, but I don't think they've played any opposition in a 
like behind closed doors friendly prior to the start of the season. I know they've had an intergame between themselves, but I don't think they've um, I don't think they've played any other sides. And I wonder if that's gonna be a little bit difficult in terms of getting back up to match fitness. Yeah, that feels like quite a strange move, that to be honest. Mm. I think I think Liverpool might have played as many as two. Um but I'm not mm. sure. I know for certain he played Blackburn, but yeah, we'll see anyway. Yeah. Um so thanks for joining us anyway, mate. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. And uh, hopefully you's you's got a little bit easy on Evan on Sunday. Yeah, so this episode has been a little bit different, testing a few things. So if you if you enjoy it, give us a shout. Apologies to those who have listened, but if you do want to go and check out the visualizations we've used, just just YouTube it and let us know feel the latest episode and you'll be able to watch back. So We'll see if we keep it from, from this week moving forward, but thanks for tuning in anyway. And hopefully by the next time we record, Liverpool will have won the league. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.